Shalom, Alekum, peace be upon you. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Sean. Website can be found at scriptureandprophecy.com. That's where you go to find the archives. That's where you go to support this mission of truth. Well, this week, the entire week, we are going to be studying the book of Esther. And the reason for that is the spring feast are nigh. And we're going to be starting with the feast of Purim. Before we get into Esther and start talking about the books of book of Esther and, and all of that, let's have a quick conversation about what is the Feast of Purim. Now, this is a feast and a conversation that we have had uh, many years in a row now. Um, I've covered in detail the Feast of Purim. Uh, we've went in detail through the book of Esther, both in the King James Bible and in the Septuagint. And we're going to do all that again this week because one of my goals for this year, Lord willing, is that we would give the proper attention to each feast, uh, the seven feasts of Jehovah and minor feast such as Purim and Hanukkah. And so I'd like to cover all those things this year, Lord willing. And then we'd have a nice archive for those things that we can replay every year. So let's start. What is the Feast of Purim? I wrote a little article. It's up at scriptureandprophecy.com if you want to go find it. As we approach spring, we we begin to approach the spring feast, such as Passover and Unleavened Bread. Most of us know the story behind these feasts as they are commanded for all of God's people to observe in the Torah. However, what about the Feast of Purim? What is the Feast of Purim, and does the Bible command us to observe it as it does the other seven feasts of God? So here is what Purim is. Purim is a celebration adopted by the Jewish people to memorialize and celebrate the salvation of the Jewish people and the escape from destruction as described in the book of Esther, when Haman contrived an evil plot, where which he deceived the king of Persia to allow all the Jews within ancient ancient Persia to be destroyed. This plan was supernaturally thwarted by Mordecai and Esther, and as a result, the Jewish people were preserved, and Haman as well as his family, fell into his own trap. Purim literally means lots, as it is a Jewish tradition that the wicked man Haman tossed lots to help him decide when to carry out his horrific genocide. Purim is celebrated every year in the late winter, early spring, on the 14th of the Hebrew month, Adar. So, where is Purim mentioned in the Bible? It's actually in Esther 9. Verses 17 through 19. Let me continue the article. We find the tradition of the celebrating of Purim in the book of Esther after Haman's wicked plan was thwarted. Purim was celebrated by feasting and rejoicing and sending food to one another. Consider the following verse. This was done on the 13th day of the month of Adar, and on the 14th day they rested and made it a day of fasting or feasting and rejoicing. But the Jews who were in Susa assembled on the 13th and the 14th of the same month, and they rested on the 15th day and made it a day of feasting and rejoicing. Therefore, the Jews of the rural areas who live in the rural towns 
make the fourteenth day of the month Adara holiday for rejoicing and feasting and sending portions of food to one another. So one question that might come up for Christians is, did Jesus celebrate the minor feast of Purim? We know that he went up to Jerusalem for the pilgrimage feast, as is commanded by Torah, but what about the minor feasts which are not commanded, such as Purim and Hanukkah? In short, we cannot be completely sure, but the Gospels seem to suggest that he likely did. Twice we see Jesus going up for an unknown feast, once in the spring, which seemed to precede Passover, and then again in the winter. Uh, these are likely the minor feasts which we just discussed. So if you go to John chapter 5, verse 1, it says, After these things there was the feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So the question becomes, what is the feast of the Jews? If it was Passover, then one would expect it to plainly state as such, as it does in other parts of the Gospels. This feast of the Jews also seems to precede fast Passover, as we see in the following chapter of the Gospel of John, that the Passover was nigh. So if you go to John 6, chapter 3, or John chapter 6, verse 3 and 4, it says, But Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. Then also, we see Jesus celebrating Hanukkah, or the Feast of Dedication, in Hebrew. In the winter, which also further provides evidence that he did acknowledge these minor feasts. So if you go to John 10, verse 22 through 23, it says, At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple area in the portico of Solomon. So the last question I'm going to raise before we start our study in the book of Esther is, why should we worry about Purim in our day and time? I believe, like the days of Esther, we are living in a time and in a world in which there is much hostility towards God's people. And when we look at the madness we are facing today, it can be very easy to become greatly discouraged and lose hope. The story of Purim and Queen Esther serves as a great reminder that God loves and provides for his people. And ultimately, the enemy will fall into their own traps just as Haman hung on his own gallows meant from Mordecai. Consider Psalm 141.10, which says, May the wicked fall into their own nets while I pass by safely. And so there is my little article on the Feast of Purim. You can find that up at scriptureandprophecy.com. But now we're going to get to the tradition. And the tradition is, is you read the book of Esther. So we're actually going to have four podcasts this week which deal with the book of Esther. So two, to read it out of the King James Bible, and then two, to read it out of the Septuagint. Now, the Septuagint has extra chapters, extra information, and you're, if you haven't heard it from the Septuagint, you're going to be greatly blessed, but you need to hear it first out of the King James. So I'm just asking that you stick along and, uh, and, and listen to each episode in order this week. So today we're going to read chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4 out of the King James Bible. Uh, then the next broadcast we'll finish it, and then we'll do the first half of the Septuagint and the second half of the Septuagint. But you're going to want to take them all in order 
that way when you get to the Septuagint, you can hear and it's fresh on your mind some of the different information uh, that we didn't get um, from what's in our King James Bible. So that is the backdrop. Let's talk about the book of Esther for uh, 30 seconds here, and then we will begin our reading. The significance of the book of Esther is that it testifies to the secret watch and care of Jehovah over his dispersed Israel. The name of God does not once occur, but in no other book of the Bible does his providence more conspicuous. A mere remnant returned to Jerusalem. The mass of the nation preferred the easy and lucrative life under the Persian rule. But God did not forsake them. What he does here for Judah, he's surely doing for all the covenant people. The book is in seven parts. You have the story of Ashanti. You have Esther made queen. You have the conspiracy of Haman. The courage of Esther, which brings deliverance. The vengeance, the feast of Purim, and then the epilogue. These events recorded in Esther cover a period of 12 years. So there is our introduction to what we're doing this week. Now let's dig in and read the first four chapters from the book of Esther. Open up your hearts and see what the word of God might have to say to you this morning. Let's begin King James Bible, the book of Esther, chapter 1. Now it came to pass in the days of Ahasuerus. This is Ahasuerus which reigned from India even unto Ethiopia, over a hundred and seven and twenty providences. That in those days when the king Ahasuerus sat on the throne of his kingdom, which was in Shushan, the palace, in the third year of his reign, he made a feast unto all the princes and his servants, the power of Persia and Media, and the nobles and princes and provinces being before him. And when he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom and the honor of his excellency and majesty many days, even a hundred and fourscore days, and when these days were expired, the king made a feast unto all the people that were presented in Shushan the palace, both unto great and small, seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace. Where were white, green, and blue hangings, fastened with cords of fine linen, and purple to silver rings, and pillars of marble. The beds were of gold and silver upon the pavement of red and blue and white and black marble. And they gave them drink and vessels of gold, the vessels being diverse one from another, and royal wine in abundance according to the state of the king. So please note, this is the most this must be the most extravagant party ever thrown in the history of the world. Not only does it go on forever, but look at what he's providing for everybody and all this marble and red and black marble and uh he he's he gave each of the like nobles gold cups to drink out of and each one was unique. They had gold beds it says. I mean, this is this is quite. Uh, the beds were of gold and silver, and the, they were sitting on upon a pavement of red and blue and white and black marble. I mean, we talk about extravagant. 
So the king, he's trying to show off his kingdom and his power, and he's doing so very, very, very well. I'm sure any of these people were quite impressed. Verse 8. And the drinking was according to the law. None did compel. For so the king had appointed to all the officers of his house that they should do according to every man's pleasure. Also Vashanti the queen made a feast for the women in the royal house, which belonged to the king Ahasuerus. And on the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded Mahakman, Bitztha, Harbona, Bigtha, and Agabatha, Zethar, and Carcass and the seven chamberlains that served in the presence of Ahasuerus, the king, to bring Vishanti, the queen, before the king and the crown royal, to show the people and the princes her beauty, for she was fair to look on. But Queen Vishanti refused to come at the king's commandment by his chamberlains. Therefore was the king very wroth, and his anger burned within him so it's the last night of the party the wine is flowing and the king is very merry with wine and he wants to show off his beautiful wife bring my beautiful wife out here so all these men can look at her she decides not to come and so we have what we see in which this is an issue that we should only see with with in the ungodly, but unfortunately we see it with those who claim to be Christian as well. We have a disobedient wife, but we also have a husband not honoring his wife. Here's what Matthew Henry says. He says, It was certainly the king's weakness to send for Vashanti into his presence when he was drunk, and in the company and abundance of gentlemen, many of whom it is likely were in the same condition. When his heart was merry with with wine, nothing would serve him, but Vashanti must come, well-dressed as she was, with the crown on her head, at, that the princes and people might see what a handsome woman she was. Hereby he dishonored himself as a husband, who ought to protect, but by no means expose the modesty of his wife, who ought to be to her a covering of the eyes, not to uncover them. He diminished himself as king, and commanding that from his wife which she might refuse, much to the honor of her virtue. It was against the custom of the Persians for women to appear in public, and he put a great hardship upon her when he did not court, but commanded her to do so uncut a thing, and to make her a show. If he had not been put out of the possession of himself by drinking to excess, he would not have done such a thing but would have been angry at the one that should have mentioned it. When the wine is in the wit is out, and men's reasons departs from them. So there's some wise words from Matthew Henry on this little incident here. So he's wroth. Queen Vashanti did not appear. Verse 13, Then the king said to the wise men, which knew the times, for so was the king's manner toward all that knew law and judgment. And the next unto him was Karshini, and Sheshar, and Admatha, Tarshish, Maris, Marcina, and Mumkin, and the servant prince of Persia and Media, which saw the king's face, and which sat the first in the kingdom. 
What shall we do unto the queen of Ashanti according to the law, because she hath not performed the commandment of the king Ahasuerus by the chamberlains? By the chamberlains. Yeah. Verse 16. And Mimikin answered before the king and the princes, Vishanti the queen hath not done wrong to the king only, but also to the princes and to all the people that are in the provinces of the king Aharas. For this deed of the queen shall come abroad unto all women, so that they shall despise their husband in their eyes. And when it shall be reported, the king Ahasuerus commanded Vishanti the queen to be brought before him, but she came not. Likewise shall all the ladies of Persia and Media say, This day unto all the king's princes, We have heard of the deed of the queen. Thus shall we arise to much contempt and wrath. If it pleases the king, let there go a royal commandment from him, and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and Medes, that it be not altered, that Vashanti come no more before the king Ahasuerus. And let the king give her royal estate unto another, that is better than she. And when the king's decree, which he shall make, shall be published throughout all the empire, for it is great, all the wives shall give their husbands honor, both to great and small. And saying this saying pleased the king and the princes, and the king did according to the word of Memucan. For he sent letters into all the king's provinces, into every province according to the writing thereof, into every people after their language, that every man should bear rule in his own house, and that it should be published according to the language of every people. So the nobles, the people that are there at this dinner, they're like, you got to do something because if the word gets out that your wife is being disobedient, then all of our wives are going to be disobedient. That is the concern here. Now let's get to chapter 2 where Esther is made queen. Chapter 2, verse 1. After these things, when the wrath of the king Aharas was appeased, he remembered Vishanti and what she had done and what was decreed against her. Then said the king's servants that ministered unto him, Let there be fair young virgins sought for the king. And let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom, that they may gather together all the fair young virgins unto Shushan, the palace, to the house of the woman, unto the custody of Hedge, the king's chamberlain, keeper of the women, and let their things be, let things for purification be given to them. And let the maiden which pleases the king, be queen instead of Ashanti. And the thing pleased the king, and he did so. Now Shushan, the palace, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Yar, the son of Shimi, the son of Kish, a Benjamite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captivity which had been carried away with Jokaniah, king of Judah, when Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away. And he brought up Hadassah, that is, Esther, his uncle's daughter. For she had, nev she had neither father nor mother, and the maid was fair and beautiful, whom Mordecai, when the father of the mother were dead, took for his own daughter. It's important to note that Hadassah is actually Esther's name. Verse 8. So it came to pass when the king's commandment 
And his decree was heard. And when many maidens were gathered together unto Shushan the palace, to the custody of Haggai, that Esther was brought also unto the king's house to the custody of Haggai, keeper of the women. And the maiden pleased him, and she obtained kindness of him. And he speedily gave her things for purification, with such things as belonged to her, and seven maidens which were meet to be given her out of the king's house. And he preferred her and her maids unto the best place of the house of the women. So please note, even though God, his name is not mentioned, you can see his favor all over, like right out of the gate, Esther is just obtaining favor immediately. Verse 10. Esther had not showed her people, nor her kindred, for Mordecai had charged her that she should not show it. And Mordecai walked every day before the court of the woman's house to know how Esther did and what should become of her. Now when every man's turn, excuse me, when every maid's turn, was come to go to King Ahasuerus, after that she had been twelve months according to the manner of the women. For so were the days of the purification accomplished, to wit six months with oil and myrrh, and six months with sweet codors, with sweet odors, and other things for the purifying of the women. So this was a this was a year long process, this purification, before they could even be brought before the king. This is astounding. Verse twelve. Or I'm sorry, verse thirteen. Then thus came every maiden unto the king, whatsoever she desired was given her to go with her out of the king's house of the women unto the king's house. And in the evening she went, and on the morrow she returned in the second house of the women to the custody of Shahagas, the king's chamberlain, which kept the concubines. She came in unto the king no more, except the king delighted in her, and that she were called by name. Now when the turn of Esther, the daughter of Ahabiel, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her for his daughter, was come to go unto the king, she required nothing but what Haggai the king chamberlain, the keeper of the women, appointed. And Esther obtained favor in the sight of all of them that looked upon her. So Esther was taken unto the king Ahasuerus into his house royal in the tenth month, which is the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign. And the king loved Esther above all the women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashanti. Then the king made a great feast unto all the princes and the servants, even Esther's feast, and he made a release to the provinces and gave gifts according to the state of the king. And then when the virgins were gathered together the second time, then Mordecai sat in the king's gate. And Esther had not showed her kindred nor her people as Mordecai had charged her. For Esther did not command, did the commandment of Mordecai like as when she was brought up with him. So what, he's, what the scripture is getting at here is that Esther had not revealed to anyone or to the king that she was Jewish. Mordecai had commanded her not to disclose that information. Verse 21. In those days while Mordecai sat in the king's gate, two of the king's chamberlains, Bigthan and Teresh 
of those who kept the door were wroth, and sought to lay hand on the king Ahasuerus. And the thing was known to Mordecai, who told it to Esther the queen, and Esther certified the king thereof in Mordecai's name. And when the inquisition was made of the matter, it was found out there, thereof. Therefore they were both hanged on a tree, and it was written in the king of the chronicles before the king, and the book of the chronicles before the king. Now again, please, please note the providence that we see here. It's just happenstance that Mordecai overhears this plot to kill the king and is able to report it. And then the plan is thwarted. And then it's written in the Chronicles. All this is ordained by God. Esther having just favor everywhere she goes. Even Mordecai just happening to be at the right place at the right time, which we're going to see here in the future, uh, plays a huge role in this whole story of salvation. Let's continue on. Chapter 3, verse 1. After these things, did King Ahasuerus promote Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agakite, the Agite, and advanced him, and he set his seat above all the princes that were with him. And the king's servant that were in the king's gate bowed and reverenced Haman. For the king had some commandment concerning him, but Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence. The king's servants which were in the king's gates said unto Mordecai, Why transgressest thou the king's commandment? Now it came to pass when they spake daily unto him that he hearkened not unto them, that they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's matters would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence, then was Haman full of wrath. So please note, Haman is appointed to this the most prestigious position under the king. Everyone bows to him and acts like he's a lord, except for Mordecai, who refuses to bow. And I would argue that even that is God's providence. For whatever reason, it is put on Mordecai's heart that he should not bow to this man, which will only cause trouble for him, or so it would seem. But again, without Mordecai refusing to bow, this hostility and wrath that Haman would have towards the Jewish people wouldn't have happened, right? Let's continue on. And he thought scorn to lay his hands on Mordecai alone, for they had showed him the people of Mordecai. Wherefore Haman sought to destroy all the Jews that were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, even the people of Mordecai. In the first month, that is, the month Nisan, in the twelfth year of the king Ahasuerus, they cast pure lots, that is, the lot before Haman, from day to day and from month to month. To the twelfth month, that is the month of Adar. So, again, please note the word pure means lot. Purim, lots. Plural. So that's where the Feast of Purim comes from. Verse 8. And Haman said unto King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of thy kingdom. And their laws are diverse from all the people, neither keep they the king's laws. Therefore it is not for the king to profit to suffer them. If it please the king, let it be written that they may be destroyed. And I will pay ten thousand talents of silver 
the hands of those that have charge of the business to bring it to the king's treasures. And the king took his ring from his hand and he gave it to Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the Jews' enemy. And the king said unto Haman, The silver is given given to thee, the people also to do with them as it seemeth good to thee. Then were the king's scribes called on the thirteenth day of the first month, and there it was written according to all that Haman had commanded unto the king's lieutenants, unto the governors that were over every province, and to the rulers of every people of every province, according to the writing thereof, and to every people their language. And the name of the king Ahasuerus was written and sealed with the king's ring. And the letters were sent by post unto all the king's provinces to destroy to kill and to cause to perish all Jews, both young and old, little children and women, and in one day, even upon the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar, to take the spoil of them for a prey. The copy of the writing for a commandment was given to every province, was published unto all people, that they should be ready against that day. The post went out, being hastened by the king's commandment. And the decree was given in Shushan the palace. And the king and Haman sat down to drink. But the city of Shushan was perplexed. So, please note. Haman, kind of through deception, I would argue, convinces the king that there's this people group that they don't obey him and that they're a threat to the kingdom and they must be destroyed. The king agrees. The decree goes out that they're all going to be killed. And of course, the whole palace of Shushan, the city of Shushan, is perplexed. Like, they can't believe this is, this is actually happening. But of course, it is. We're going to read one more short chapter here. It's only 17 verses, chapter 4, and that'll be the end of our study for today. And then, Lord willing, we will resume and finish the King James Version of the story tomorrow. Let's take a quick look at chapter 4. This is important because this has to do with kind of the response to this by the people of God. So let's have a look. Verse 1, when Mordecai perceived all that was done, Mordecai rent his clothes, put on sackcloth with ashes, and went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud and bitter cry, and came even before the king's gate, for none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. So the first thing that Mordecai does is he humbles himself, right? That's what it, that's what the point of renting your clothes and putting on uncomfortable clothes and putting ashes or dust on top of your head. It was about making yourself as uncomfortable as possible as a form of humility before God. Verse two, and it came and he came even before the king's gate for none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every province, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, there was great mourning among the Jews, and fasting, and weeping, and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So God's people responded with fasting and with humility. This is great wisdom. Imagine, imagine. If all of God's people, just here in America, were to humble themselves, were to 
were to make themselves uncomfortable and fast and pray and weep about what's happening in this country instead of just turning a blind eye and acting like they're not coming for you. Acting like they don't have evil plans to destroy you. But actually responded the way that we see the Jews responding here in Persia. How much different would the, would this country be in, or the world for that matter? Verse 5. Or verse 4. So Esther's maids and her chamberlains came and told it to her. Then was the queen exceedingly grieved. And she sent raiment to clothe Mordecai and to take away his sackcloth from him, but he received it not. Then called Esther for Hatak, one of the king's chamberlains, whom he had appointed to attend upon her. And he gave him a commandment to Mordecai to know what it was and why it was. So Hatak went forth to Mordecai unto the street of the city which was before the king's gate. And Mordecai told him of all that had happened unto him, and of the sum of the money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasuries for the Jews to destroy them. Also he gave him a copy of the writing and the decree that was given to Shushan to destroy them, to show it unto Esther, and to declare it unto her, and to charge her that she should go in unto the king to make supplication unto him, to make request before him for her people. And Hattach came, and he told Esther the words of Mordecai. And again Esther spoke unto Hattach and gave him a commandment unto Mordecai, all the king's servants and people of the king's provinces do know that whatsoever, whether a man or a woman, shall come unto the king in the inner court, who is not called, there is one law of his to put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out a golden scepter, that he may live. But I have not been called to come in unto the king these thirty days. And they told Mordecai Esther's words. So please note. Esther saying, I can't just, I can't do anything about it. I can't go to the king. If, you, if you're not summoned by the king and you just show up unannounced, you'll be put to death. Unless he like grants some kind of mercy by extending his scepter. So that's Esther's, or that's, that's Esther's predicament. And she's, she's telling this to Mordecai. Verse 13. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther. Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then, thou sh then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time? As this. Now, of course, this is the most famous verse in all of the book of Esther. Everyone knows this part of the story. But consider what Mordecai is saying. He's saying, if you hold your peace during this time, like if you think that you're just going to be quiet and kind of uh, hang out on the sidelines, no one's going to notice you and you're going to escape all this, God is still going to deliver his people through another means. So that's number one. Number one is, is that regardless, God's going to deliver his people. It'll either be you or it'll be somebody else, but that's going to happen. But number two, don't think for a second that you will escape 
if you hold your peace and try to play on the sidelines. This is what many pastors, many Christians, many men in our country and around the world are doing today. They think if I hide, if I don't say anything, if I don't, if I keep my opinions to myself, uh, then me and my family will be protected. That you know, the evil governments and the, the the people who want to destroy God's people, they won't come for me because they won't know that I even exist, and I'm just going to kind of hide here in the sidelines. But Mordecai's like, don't think that that's going to work out for you. Furthermore. Do you not think that the reason you're in the place and the position that you're in right now is for this very reason? Do you think that you became, do you think that you were a little Jewish orphan who was adopted by her uncle and suddenly you're queen of all of Persia? Do you think that came by accident? Or is that God's design and provision? And even some of us need to look at our lives and remember where we came from and say, is this all an accident or does God have a purpose for my life we're almost done here verse 15 then answer bade them return Mordecai this answer this is this is the godliness of Esther go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast ye for me neither eat nor drink three days night or day I also and my maidens will fast likewise. And so I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law, and if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way, and he did according to all that Esther had commanded him. Esther needs to be given incredible credit here. Try to understand. For the last many years, she's been living in the ultimate luxury. She has servants. She has wealth. There's nothing that's not at her disposal. Nothing that she doesn't have access to. There's never a need in her life that's not met instantly. She's the queen of Persia. She's... She doesn't even, listen, Mordecai had to send notice to her that this was even going on because people who live in these type of conditions, they are completely disconnected from what's going on in the real world, right? We see this with the Hollywood types and the rich, right? Like, it's like they say these ridiculous things and it's like, do you, are you not even at all in touch with what's really going on? And they're not because they live in a whole different world, you know. Esther also is living in that world. She doesn't even know that this decree, which has all the city of Shushan perplexed, has even went out. She has to be told by Mordecai. However, once she understands the situation, her response is, if I die, I die. If I perish, I perish. Fast and pray. Do the godly thing. And I'm going to risk my life. That is character above all character. Let me read her response one more time and then we'll be done this morning. Go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan 
and fast from me, and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise, and I will go unto the king, which is not according to the law, and if I perish, I perish. Well, that is the end of part one of our study. I pray you've been blessed and strengthened this morning. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your prayers. Please consider supporting the mission of truth. You can do that by going to scriptureandprophecy.com, clicking on the Donate and Support tab at the top. Peace and grace be with you. Until next time, God bless.